and so glad that you're here. We get to start a brand new series today. I'm just thrilled about. I just loved going through the book of Ruth, and we wrapped that up last week. If you weren't here, you might want to just go back and watch some of those messages, especially the last one, because it was just really moving as we talked about her. We ended with, um, the, the book ends with a genealogy, and it talks about Ruth and Naomi and married Boaz, and they had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. And so we just move right into the next part of what God wants to talk to us about. So if you would, go ahead and grab your message notes. They look like this. You'll be able to follow along. Got lots of Bible verses again. This series will be have a lot of that, just like the last one did. And so uh, there's going to be less space to write on, especially on the front side and the back. You see there's more. But you're going to also open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, and so you find it there. We're going to be in chapter 16 today uh, in our time uh, together. So I'm so excited about this series. And it talks about uh, the, the title is King David Made for More. And it, this first message really is going to set up the why it's made for more tag. And that we can realize that no matter what people say about us, no matter what we think about us, that God has something to say about us because he loves us as we just sang about. And so he made us for more. And so we get to go for that. We get to realize the life he's called us to. And today what we're going to do is we're going to set up the whole series in an encounter that David has with uh, Samuel and uh, with uh, it's at the end of some things that we're going to talk about in just a minute that has to do with Saul, who is the king that is before David. And so David is the most insignificant member of his family, and I even want to say his tribe. He was chosen from a place of obscurity to become the most important king that Israel ever had. What we're going to see today is this. We're going to see that God doesn't see people the way the rest of us see people. The things, that things are not always the way they look, not always the way they appear, and that has enormous implications upon our significance. In our world, how do we judge people? In our world, we typically judge people by the homes they live in, by the cars they drive, by the clothing that they wear, by their social media presentation, by their social class, by their circle of friends or associations, by their scholastic achievement, by their looks, or by their athletic prowess. So there's a whole list. You could make you come up with some on your own to how we judge people, how we assess people, how we evaluate people. You know, and we spend so much of our time trying to you know, figure out which crowd we're in at the moment and how they're going to be looking at us and whether we're significant or whether we're not. And so we spend so much time seeking our significance from how we look or what we have or what we do that we end up insignificant, insignificant. What we thought would bring us significance will not if we're building our lives upon the exterior values, upon those measurements. And today we're going to look at the fact that God has a different measurement on what it is that makes someone significant. So just jump in. Here's a, I'm going to give you a, a quote from Chuck Swindoll. He's a pastor. Uh, I remember listening to him when I was younger. He's still going, by the way. And so just love, he has a radio show called Insight for Living. He has this book called David. And you have some of these in the bookstore. I picked a selection of books this time that you could look at that might, you know, from different angles about David and things that you might want to learn and grow from. But this is what he says in his book. He says this, when we look for people to admire as we choose our role models, our heroes, we are often swayed or impressed by things that are cause for boasting. 
We want the beautiful people, the brilliant people, the successful people. We want the best and the brightest. We are terribly enamored of the surface. The superficial still impresses us much more than we'd like to admit. We even elect a president because he looks good on television. I don't know if you know this, but the average height of the last three presidents is 6'3". The average height of the typical CEO in America is 6'2". And there's something about heights. We're just enamored by the external as we look at others. But God says this. That's not the way I make my choices. I choose the nobodies and turn them into somebodies. Aren't you glad of that? All right. We are a bunch of nobodies, right? And he's turning us into somebodies. That's a wonderful thing. And that, in a nutshell, is the story of how David was chosen to become a king. So because we're going to talk about David, and there's another character that comes into play quite a bit in his earlier days, especially, we have to pause a minute and we have to talk about Saul. We have to talk about the king who came before him. So Saul was the first king that Israel had. So we had the season of the judges. That's Ruth was written during, I'm not written, but it was talked about Ruth. During the season of the judges, it says at the beginning of Ruth, that the people did what was right in their own eyes. And well, after that season of the judges, the people looked around. They said, hey, you know what? All of our neighbors have kings. We want a king. And so God listened to them when they were calling for a king, even though what that was saying is that they were actually saying we're rejecting God as our king. He looked at them and he says, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you wish. And I just thinking about that. Sometimes we better be careful what we wish. Someone's we better be careful what we're thinking will bring us happiness and fulfillment. So Saul comes on board. God relents and says, okay, you want a king? You're going to get a king. And Saul's the guy. He comes on board. He's tall. He's handsome. He's muscular. He's athletic. He's a warrior. He's a man's man. He's a heartthrob. All of that in Saul. He, has a, he comes on board. He has a few military victories. And the people are just enamored with him. And that went to his head. They were enamored with him, and it went to his head. Because his inside was not as strong as his outside. Does that make sense? His inside was not as strong as his outside. What happened was he began to crumble from the weight and pressure of success, and he began to make choices that would eventually lead to his downfall. To his downfall. 1 Samuel 13. You might just want to write that reference down. It records one of those moments when he made a choice that wasn't the best choice for him or for God's people. In fact, he made a choice that was under pressure of the people. So he was sensing what the people wanted. God had said, you must do this. Under pressure, he heard what the people wanted, and he went against what God said and did what the people wanted. It's tragic. It's tragic what happens to him at this place. And so what happens is, is that he chose to put the people before God. He chose to put the people before God. And so what we're going to see today is that when we look at this is that there's a big difference between Saul and David. And when we look at David, we get to know him through this series. We're going to see a guy who put God before people, who put God before people. In fact, if you have a circle and David lived his life, he lived his life with God at the center. And what we're going to see in just a moment is Saul began to live his life with Saul at the center. And God was just a resource to be used to get more fame and to keep the people happy. And this is what Samuel says. Samuel comes along. By the way, Samuel's part of this story too. Remember Samuel, Hannah's son, Eli, the temple. He was raised there. Samuel's 
heard a voice and Eli said, well, that might be God. And Samuel said to God, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Well, Samuel became the prophet, the spokesman for God during this time. And so he came to Saul and he says this, you have not kept, this is on your notes, by the way, uh, 13.3. He says, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. So not just his reign as the king now, but for all time, his, king, his name would have been carried out throughout the ages. But now your kingdom will not endure. So you'll be it, Saul, is what he's saying. There's not going to be any passing this on to anyone else. It's going to end with you. End with you. The Lord has thought out a man after his own heart. So he's saying there's going to be a new king. There's going to be a new reign. There's going to be a new era. There's going to be a new family. And it's going to be based upon the fact that there's a man who's a part of that who is after God's own heart. And it says this, appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So he didn't keep the command. So then what happened is the search began for the new king. So now it's the time for Samuel to listen to God and they're going to find the new king that they're going to go look at. And what happened is that Saul had been given these words. He knew he would no, his family would no longer carry on the name. Saul turned into a jealous madman. Jealous madman. And you're going to be able to see that in some of the stories we're going to look at as we go through this series together. Because he couldn't imagine that someone else would take his throne and he would do anything he could to keep it. And that would even mean murder murdering others. So God says to Saul and Samuel, here's the top criteria for the person who would be my king. And it was when he said this, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, a man after his own heart. And that just reminded me of another place in the Bible. It's in second Chronicles where it says this, it says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who heart, whose hearts are fully committed to him. So that's the background. I wish I had time to tell you more story because there's some more juicy stuff that I had to leave out, uh, but I don't have time. You can read chapters 14 and 15 of 1 Samuel if you want to, to get more of the story. So what I want to do is I'm going to go with chapter 16, and I'm going to talk today about how we can discover our significance, and there are three keys uh, that I want to give from the story that you and I can engage with and in and help us to find our significance as being people after God's own heart. And so we're going to read, I want to read the first four verses. These aren't on your notes. I didn't have space to put all the verses on your notes. They'll be on the screens. You have your Bible. They're right there in front of you. First four verses. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? So when Samuel found out that Saul's reign wasn't going to go on, Samuel went into a deep depression because he would have been enamored by Saul as well. He loved Saul. And so he couldn't imagine the kingdom without Saul. And so he had gone into a depression. And he was having grief and going through the things of sadness. How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. So they had a ram's horn. Fill it with oil. This is what they use for anointing. And be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. So Samuel's living in Ramah. In order for him to get from Ramah to Bethlehem, where Jesse is, he's going to have to go through the city where Saul is from. And he doesn't know where Saul is. And he's thinking, okay, great. You know, God, you're telling me that I'm going to go anoint the new king. Saul knows he's not going to be the king. And I'm going to come through town. He's going to think that something's up. And I'm afraid for my life. If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, if that's what you think, then take a cow with you. <laughs> it wasn't for protection, by the way. It was just to make him stand out even more, that he was going to do something official. 
And he says this, I have, and go to say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. Once again, they're afraid of Saul. They don't know what Saul's going to do. They know Samuel's come to town for something official, for a sacrifice. The word has gone ahead, and they're not sure exactly what that means or what's going to happen, but they are really wondering what's going to happen. They said, do you come in peace? Now, before we go on and read more, I just want to make a couple of comments. We don't know the details of everything that transpires here, okay? We just, have to, we just don't know. We can look at it, and we can kind of read into it, but we just don't know exactly what has happened. But here's what we do know. We do know that God has sent Samuel to go to Bethlehem to anoint a king, a king of Israel from the family of Jesse. We know that. Now, by now, everyone knows about the encounter that Saul has had with Samuel's had with Saul, where he said that you will lose the reign, and that God, Saul was no longer God's chosen king. Now he would stay in charge. And one of the great things about David when he comes on the scene is that he never did touch God's anointed king, even though he was going to be the new king. He never did. He, so Saul was still going to be the king as long as he lived. And they knew that if Samuel was coming to town, hey, you know what? He's coming to town. It, I just might have to do with a new king. It just might have something to do with a new king. And since Jesse was invited, since remember, we don't know everything here. Since he was invited, he may have been told, or at least he assumed, that the new king chosen by God would be one of his sons. So with that kind of the background, let's jump in with verse 5 and see what happens. Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Let's pause right there. Now, when he looks at this first son, firstborn, and also uh, then you've got to know that Jesse brought his sons by in order of his value that he placed upon his sons. Saul's the king. Saul's big, handsome, strong, mighty, warrior. And so when they're thinking about who will be the next king, Jesse's thinking, I need to get someone first who will be able to be an example like Saul is of that kind of king. And so he brought Eliab. And so this guy, I, I know that Samuel has to be thinking, this guy has to be the one when he sees him. I mean, he looks like Dwayne Johnson, the rock, okay? Let's just think that. <laughs> Wouldn't you want him to be your king? <laughs> He's a stud. He's a beast. He has to be the one. So God knew what Samuel was thinking, okay? So God knows our thoughts. And he says to Samuel, let's go on, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Doesn't say why. Just says, I've rejected him. And then he says the verse that Mark read to us. This is the theme for today. He says this, verse 7, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is our memory verse. This is for the series. It's our theme for the series. That's the key. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. The Lord does not consider the things that people consider. The Lord does not value the things that people value. But the Lord looks at the heart, not the appearance. So, folks, what he's saying here is God looks for a person who lives with him at the center of their lives. God looks for a person who looks, lives with God at the center of their lives. 
Saul had put himself at the center of his world. And as I said a while ago, God was just a resource for more victories, for more fame and more glory. But God looks for those who will put him at the center. Let's go on. Then Jesse called Abinabab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass total before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so I'm thinking at this point, Samuel pauses. He's told Jesse, bring all of your sons. Jesse brings his sons. He's gone through seven sons. God has said no to all seven of them. And I just have to imagine right about now, Samuel's, you know, scratching his head. He's thinking out loud. See, God, I must have misunderstood you. I must not have had it clear. God, I've always been sure of your voice. I've always understood when you spoke that I was hearing from you. I know your voice, God. How did I miss this? I had Jesse bring all of my sons here. All of my sons. So you could tell me which one would be your king, God. I thought that's what was happening. And then he had an inspiration. And he turns to Jesse and he says to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There's still the youngest, Jesse answered. There's the runt of the litter is what he's saying. (laughs) There's the smallest, the least significant. And then he says this, he's tending the sheep. He's tending the sheep. I wouldn't even embarrass myself to bring him here today. Or my family. Or you, Samuel. Or God. To bring this son before you, thinking this son might be the king. Some of you had dads like that. Some of you had moms like that. Some of you had authority figures like that who looked at you in that way. And what I want you to see and hear right now is that you may have had parents that looked at you that way. You may have had authorities that looked at you that way, but God looks at something totally different. God sees behind what everybody else thinks is valuable in a parent, and he sees into your heart. Robert Alter, he's written a wonderful commentary in the life of David, and here's how he describes David. He says this, By his sheer youth, David has been excluded from consideration, simply because of his youth, his stature, his size. He's kind of a male Cinderella. That's what he says. Left to do his domestic chores instead of being invited to the party. Now, I'll just ask again. Have you ever felt like you weren't invited to the party? That you weren't significant? That others didn't see your potential? That there just didn't seem any way how you were going to break out of the label that you had been given? So we can all relate, I think, at some point to this. Being set aside because we didn't meet someone's standard, someone's measurement for what they say matters. Let's go on. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. This is really important, you guys. So in, this, in, the, in the day in which this was written, you stood to show honor. You stood to show honor. And so what he's saying right now is, he, see, the teachers all sat in that day, and you stood to show honor. So he's saying, we're going to stand, and you're going to go get this youngest son, not even named yet, and you're going to bring him in here. And I just want to say another thing, is that more than likely, David wasn't just right outside the door. Is that this probably took about an hour, something like that, for them to go find David and bring them in. And so can you imagine the awkwardness? 
in the room right now. We've got seven sons who were rejected. You've got Jesse, who's embarrassed about what he's done and what's happening, and he knows he's blown it big time. He's wondering how God's going to respond to him. You've got Samuel, who's thinking, oh, God, I hope this is the one. I don't know what I'm going to do. You've got the elders around who are afraid about what's happening, and, all, and they're waiting. And finally, David comes in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord says to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went home. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, there was probably never in history a more unlikely candidate to be anointed as king. From an outward point of view, this was the runt who had been sent out to tend sheep. By the way, you know, remember, shepherds are the, like the lowest job available in this day. So they didn't think any more highly of their son to say, you go out and hang out with the scum because really that's all the value you have to us. Just think about that. You think if, if they had had high school yearbooks in this day, I think David would have been voted the least likely to succeed. <laughs> You look at who he was. He was young. He, he was too young. He was too short. He was too soft. He was a musician and an artist. He was a shepherd. He was not a mighty warrior king. And yet God picked this insignificant number eight, eighth son of Jesse, let's just add this, the great-grandson of Ruth, the Moabitess, to be king because of what was on the inside, not the outside, because God looks at things that we don't see. We judge people by what we can see. So here's a, here's a painting that's going to show this, what's happening right now, just to see this. It's a little dark, but if you can see there, you've got David. You've got uh, the seven brothers, more than likely, and, and uh, Jesse around, and then Samuel. And he's got this horn, and he's pouring oil. Let's just leave that for a minute, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the oil. So in this day, when you anointed someone, this was not like everyday kitchen olive oil, Okay. Kind of like we would get today, you get a little anointing oil bottle, and, and when you use it, you open it up, and it's got olive oil that you can't really, has very little scent, and you touch somebody on the forehead. And this day, you just poured it on them, okay? So you brought this horn full of oil, and there was a precise recipe that they had to follow. So it would be include olive oil. It would have olive oil in it, but it also included a certain mixture of spices that were prescribed... And that those spices then were mixed with the olive oil so that when the olive oil was poured on the person who was being anointed, that they then had a fragrance about them that everyone that they met would say, you've been anointed. You've been anointed for something special. So that's what happened at this point. So I'm just going to say a couple things. Here's what, two things we want to see from this, okay? Two things we want to see. First is this. God sees things differently than we do. I think we, that's clear, right? God sees things differently than we do. God sees things we don't. That's important, guys, that God sees things we don't. So what we do is just as guilty as this as everybody here. We make our choices based on what we can see, who we think would be smart or strong or important or wealthy or accomplished or successful. You fill in your blank of what you would think would make someone important. That's who we think is significant. But God says, 
I'm looking for someone who has strength or, and success that can't be measured by how many pull-ups they can do, can't be measured by how much that they can bench press, can't be measured by how fast they can run or how high they can jump, can't be measured by the size of their bank account, can't be measured by the companies they own, can't be measured for what they've accomplished or what they know. All those things are wonderful, but I'm looking for someone that's not looking to that for the value, God says. Because why? Because everything I just mentioned can be accomplished without God, without him. He's looking for people who put him at the center and ask him to accomplish through them what can't be accomplished in any other way with the skills, the talents, the resources that they've been given. God's looking for someone whose heart is turned to him. He's looking for someone who will keep him at the center and out of the center then serve others. I just want to pause a minute. I want to talk a minute about the heart. Why is the heart so important? Well, in the Hebrew culture, the heart was the center of the will. So the heart was the, a combination of the mind and the passion. So we have the mind and we think things, and sometimes we can reason things out, but then the passion, we have the passion, and sometimes we feel things, and sometimes we want to go for things simply because we feel it. And so we have a combination of the mind and the heart, mind and the passion in the heart. The heart is more than passion, it's more than reason. It's mindful passion, mindful passion. One person said it this way, it's informed passions. So something I've thought about, I feel passionately about, and I make my decisions equally between my mind and my heart, that I don't let one rule over the other in that way. So your heart determines the direction of your life is basically what they say. It's the steering wheel. So the heart is the steering wheel of your life. Your heart steers you to be the man or woman that God calls you to be. So God picks David, who's the run of the family, who then, who when his dad knew Samuel was there to pick him, as I said, sent him out to be with his sheep. And God said, no, that's the guy. That's the guy I want. And so, folks, I just want to say again, because I think we all need to hear this. No matter what label someone else has given you, God is the one who determines your significance. No matter what label someone else gave you, God is the one who determines your significance. And I'll just say it this way. I believe this to be true. God has a special place in his heart for the forgotten ones, for the unimportant ones, for the unimpressive ones, for those everyone else would label and consider worthless and not valuable. Worthless and not valuable. I read this this week. It just speaks so well to this. God loves to use unlikely people in unlikely ways to accomplish unlikely things for him. That's what he likes to do. God chooses those whose hearts are turned toward him. So now turn your notes over on the back side. And you're probably thinking, gosh, it took a long time on the first side. What is he doing today? And it's going to speed up, okay? Speed up from here. Because we're going to look at some other ways about the heart and significance. So knowing that, that God, that I need to know. That was the first blank in case I didn't give that. Somehow my brain's telling me I didn't give you the first blank. I'm only 62. Come on. But something told me I didn't give you that first blank, so it's no, okay? <laughs> know what God is looking for. Second, I need to pursue what? Once I know it, I need to pursue it. So God's looking for my heart to be turned toward him, to keep him in the center. Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. 
God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Everything. That's his heart. Now, we're going to see, folks, we're going to see that David failed. We're going to see that David had flaws. We're going to see that David was real. We're going to see that David hurt people. We're going to see that David was, he had a fair we're going to see that David murdered. We're going to see all these things about David. What we're going to learn, though, along the way is that the difference between David and Saul, here's a key point, is that when Saul failed, he shifted blame. When David failed, he accepted blame. Huge, huge difference. And that's what God wants us to do as well. When we fail, he wants us not to shift blame, but to accept blame for our responsibility, and that's what he did. So I don't know if you guys have heard of David Brooks. David Brooks is a writer for the New York Times, and he's author of several books. In one of his books, it's called The Road to Character. I think that's a picture of that book right there. He reflects in his own journey. So he's talking about his own journey through this book. And he realizes that in his pursuit, so he's talking about what we're talking about, even though it's not from faith, okay? Talking about in his journey to have what the world labels as success, that he lost himself along the way. Lost himself. He paints the picture of himself as a man who, in his pursuit of promised success and wealth and comfort, actually caused pain to himself and to others. So as he focused on himself and his ego and his accomplishments, what happened was he didn't get what he thought that those, he didn't get the outcome that he thought he was going to get. He ended up empty and wrung out. He talks about this realization that he came to, that there are basically two ways to live life. And so those are going to be what you fill in here, the two ways to live life. He said that we can make life about the pursuit of resume virtues. Resume virtues. This is what we would believe qualifies us for success. So we're going to you know, pad our resumes so that we can get the job and people will look at us as, as successful in some way. These are the things that we think determine our significance, the things that you can measure. These are what gain us status and value. These are what people notice. These are the shiny things of life that people hang on the wall. They're the things that catch the eye of others who will then want to hang around us because we are significant because of our resume virtues. And he said that's where he spent his life. That's when he ended up empty and wrung out and he hurt people and he hurt himself because he was basing his life on resume virtues. And he had this aha, he has this awareness that instead of living for resume virtues, I can live for eulogy virtues. I can live for eulogy virtues. And you know what these are? These are what other people say about us at our funeral. These are what other people say about us at our memorial. He was saying, it is eulogy virtues that make a person significant. So Brooks said that he had failed at things that matter because he'd put too much attention on his resume virtues, how he got his value from those, and too little of his energy into his eulogy virtues, and how he would be remembered by others. If you wanna, he did a five-minute talk, if you want to Google this. David Brooks, just eulogy virtues, probably. There's three different sources. It's a five-minute little section you can read where he had the, he's talking about this awareness that he had. That might help in some way to just kind of seal this for you, what he was talking about. And let's just say this, folks. People don't remember your resume virtues. People don't remember your resume virtues. They don't remember your GPA. They don't remember the things that you have hanging on your wall that gained you a moment of feeling significant in some way. 
But when your days come to an end, and every one of us, our days are going to come to an end, and when we take our last breath, this is true for every one of us, what they will remember is your eulogy, are your eulogy virtues, values. And God wants us to pursue those eulogy virtues as we keep him at the center and we pursue what it is to have a heart after him. God looks at the heart. So God looks at the heart and we get to decide what God sees when he looks inside. We get to decide by the way we live. The last thing is this. We discover our significance as we become who God is looking for. As we become who God is looking for. So that means we have to engage in heart work so that I can fill my heart with the things that God would want to see. That means we have to engage in heart exercises so that I can develop the kind of heart that God wants to see. That means we have to engage in heart development. So I'm going to give you five of David's heart eulogy values here that people would have been able to say about him and people, as they've read the scriptures, have said about him that you might want to say that these would be values that you want to have in your heart as well. The first one is humility. David exhibited humility at every turn. In fact, after he was anointed king, do you know what he did? He didn't go change his business card and change it from shepherd to king. He went right back to being a shepherd. He went right back to the field. In the next chapter, we're going to look at next week, when Goliath was coming at the people of Israel, they called David from the fields as a shepherd and sent him to go take cheese to his brothers. And he did that in humility. Second is obedience. Obedience. So we have to know what God says. So you need to know what God says. And you're going to learn a lot in the series about how David listened to the word of God. In fact, he wrote a lot of it. Listened to the word of God. And then he applied the word of God. And he was obedient to what God says. And he was challenging his people to be obedient as well. So we have to be, have confidence in God's word. That God's word is, this is what God says and I can trust him that he's going to do what he says, and I'm going to live in confidence in that. And then the third is a courage. Courage. You might all just write conviction as well. Kind of be both, courage and conviction. So David was a person who was willing to take on the biggest obstacle. If God's name was being maligned, if God's name was being maligned, or if God's people were being mistreated, he would take it on. He was a person who believed in something so deeply that he was willing to stand up out of conviction and courage. Fourth, he was, had a, he was a man of integrity. He was a man of honor. There's going to be a scene coming up soon. And, uh, David has two opportunities to kill Saul, and both times he refuses, even though his men were encouraging him to do that, because he honored the role of king. He was a man of integrity. He said, I cannot hurt God's anointed. And then the last one is Intimacy. Intimacy. So I'm going to take just a moment and talk about this. I would say, just my personal belief, that this is the most important heart quality that David had. And if you're wanting to pick one of the five today to say, which do you want God to bring into your life? I would say that this is the most important one. If you're confused in any way, let me tell you why. See, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. What that means is he was a man who had the circle and he kept God at the center. So what that says is that he worked on his relationship with God. He worked to know God. 
He worked to experience God. He worked to love God. He worked to worship God. Just like his great-grandmother Ruth, I said this in the series, that Ruth showed the nation of Israel what it was like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. David showed that too. What it's like to live a life that places God first. So David saw God as the most important reality in life. And because of that, he made sure that he was going to keep God at the center. And he got confused along the way. He got confused, but he always brought God back to the center. That's the key to David's life, his reign, and I believe why he was a man after God's own heart and why he had the influence that he had. What David longed for more than anything else was the presence of God. He learned it by walking in intimacy with him. So these are the things that we looked at that build inner character that God is looking for, and intimacy, I think, is the most important word. But I just want to close with this idea. Okay, just kind of wrap it up. I don't want you to hear today that that list is something that you need to go out and do now. Okay, I need to grow in humility. So I'm going to grow in humility. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be serving. I don't think that's exactly what we're talking about. I think the only one of the five that God wants us to engage in is the intimacy one. And as we're intimate with him, then he will, work, he will supply the others. They are the outflow of my relationship with him. Our significance doesn't come from our attractiveness, our accomplishments. Our worth comes from God's grace. It's all about grace. What he says about us is based upon our relationship with him. We may think that when God looks at the heart that he's looking for character, right? We may think he's judging us for character. But if that's what we believe and that's our motive, I'm just going to say that the danger is, is that we will make character an accomplishment. And we will see that as our value. Because we developed and became a person of character. And that will become our new measuring stick. For whether it's honesty or the other list, other things on that list. That'll be our measuring stick. But what God say in David, what God saw in David, even though he was not perfect, he saw him as a man who longed after him. It said this in verse 13. It says that as he was anointed, that the Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit supplied the power. The Holy Spirit will supply the power for you to seek God in intimacy, to be a person after his own heart. Close with these verses from 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble in birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Saul, Saul boasted in Saul. David boasted in God. David became a man of significance because he became a man after God's own heart. He developed an intimate relationship with him. And God worked with his spirit's power and grace to form David into the man he became. And that can happen to you.
that can happen to me. Would you bow your heads and let's close in prayer. I think one of the first things that we want to think about is just ask ourselves a couple of questions. And one is just simply, after what we've talked about, after what you've seen, do you want to become a person after God's own heart? Do you aspire to do that? Is that desire of your heart? Are you willing to reorient your life, change your priorities, ask God to show you where you're out of balance, where the external is taking precedence over the internal, where the external is taking all of your time, all of your efforts, all of your thoughts, all of your willingness, all of all of, all of you, and very little is going to the internal. And the internal means your relationship with God. Are you, are just, do you want that? That's the first question. Well, if you do, then you want to pray. You know, say, God, I want to today, I'm just telling you that up until now, I, or even now, right now, you're not first place in my life. And you're not the center of my world or my life. And today I want to put you at the center. And I want to walk with you. I want to learn what it's like to walk with you in love and intimacy I want to be obedient out of love. I want to grow as you want me to grow to look like Jesus because of the love he had for me, that he gave his life for me. And God, I pray for anyone in the room who came in here today and they felt like others believed they were not valuable, they were not important, that they were insignificant. I pray for those who believe by their actions that they're not valuable, not important, and not significant. I pray today that you would pull us up out of that quagmire. You'd pull us up that we would see you and we'd focus on you and we'd want to realize that we are made for more than what we're experiencing. You made us for so much more. And I just thank you for David's story. And as we go through this for the next few weeks, I pray that every week would be just a sweet, sweet reminder of your grace through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.